Welcome to the Generic Board Game Podcast. All the board gaming content you could possibly want at a fraction of the price. I'm your American host, Philip. And I'm your European host, Vic. Vic from NaveCon, or, well, Vic Gannon is actually my full name. Um, we have a very special guest star this evening. And Philip, would you like to introduce him since you know this much better than me? <laughs> Absolutely. And I am excited and thrilled to have the designer of one of my top 10 games. The game is Clans of Caledonia. Clans of Caledonia, I can speak. And it is Juma Al-Juju. I hope I got his name right. Juma, for those that you don't know, I looked it up, means uh, Friday or the Day of Assembly. And I thought that was kind of cool. He comes to us from Germany, where he attended the University of Regenberg, as well as the Berlin Institute of Technology. So therefore, he's way smarter than we are. Welcome, <laughs> Juma, and, and welcome to our little bit of silliness. Hi, Philip and Vic. I'm really um, surprised and impressed by your due diligence. <laughs> we want to make you guys feel special. So we, I, whenever we have a guest over, we like to, you know, just have a better understanding who they are because, you know, it will inform a lot of our questions about how you do things. And one of the things that I noticed is like me, you have a degree in economics. That's why I'm drawn to economic board games. And, you know, I guess the first question out of the gate, given your background, what got you into board games? When did you start board gaming and, and when did it become something of a passion for you? I actually started to enter a chess club at the age of seven, approximately. Okay. Wow. And there is actually like a like a, an interesting story. What drew me to to chess was um, I kind of grew up in an orphanage, and um, I saw an Iranian refugee family um, being brought by the police to the orphanage, and they were getting some shelter there in the middle of the night and um, one of the kids was um, really good at chess they didn't speak English German they had really no money anything and he he has beaten all the kids around and I was really impressed by how like a game of chess can be a bridge can be a medium to interact um, for people and who, who may not be able to interact otherwise so easily um, who don't share the same language and the same values, the same history, the same cultural background, whatever. Mm. And like this kid, this Iranian refugee kid was like unprivileged in so many ways, but chess was so fair and um, all these um, unprivileged factors didn't matter anymore. And um, I was really impressed by that. So I, that made me start to play chess and I really liked it. Hmm. And when did you get into modern board gaming? I think that was a little bit later, but not that much later. I mean, I always played a lot of games. Um, mm -hmm. Probably Settlers of Catan was like quite big, yeah. I mean, I did play a lot of other board games as well as a kid, but Settlers of Catan was something, and another big game I played was like El Grande. Oh, yes. So these uh, were the kind of games I loved, I loved a lot, but I kind of liked competitive players. <laughs> Even when I was a kid, you know, I, I, I was like so competitive, I loved it. But, you know, other people might didn't like to read so many rules or weren't as competitive. So it was kind of boring to play against them. So kind of chess was a bit more of a stable place to fulfill my need for competitive gaming because it's more organized in a club. Great. 
I grew up among uh, Russian, you know, uh, Soviet Union refugees uh, in New York. Chess or Shakhmati in, in Russian was one of the bridge games that we played quite a bit. Now, I am not good at bridge, and I find it uh, the lack of theme just a little bit too much for me. I mean, I'm a Euro player, but even that has a little too, too little theme for me. One of the things that I looked up on the BGG uh, was the, you know, the games that you uh, started to develop. And we want to, I'd like to get a little bit into that. Uh, I, I heard in one of your interviews that you had a, a farm game that, uh, that you worked on in 2012. And then you have Pretty Ugly in 2013, which is a beauty contest. Uh, 2014, you had a Green Deal which I believe is a, a corporate, a social responsibility game. Uh, there was a game in 2015 that's name is escaping me now. And uh, in 2017, you had the clans of Caledonia. And there's clearly an evolution in theme and, and complexity. How did you get involved in board game designing? And, and kind of what are the, some of the lessons and some of the things that you, you, know, you started to learn as you were designing and publishing games? Hmm, these are many questions in one. Uh, and, and again, very impressed by your due diligence. And um, so I started to get into gaming. Well, th actually, there are two things that I can tell. Like, I remember I like had like a random encounter at like a Thai place, a small, cheap Thai place in Berlin. And I, I talked to a woman because it was a very tiny place. So we kind of like people were talking and you had to, to sit across two strangers. So and then... Later, I went to a cafe next uh, around the corner and I actually met the same woman again. So we talked again. And um, at some point she asked me what I want to do in my life or what is my dream. And I remember I said, making board games. And it was like the first time I actually had that thought. I never thought about making board games. It was a bit like as if I hear myself as in a third person speaking. It was kind of surreal and but i didn't actually touch that topic i didn't even start designing games for a couple of years and only a couple of years later i actually um, started to do that during my master degree i studied in the netherlands um, it uh, was a rather small town compared to berlin and in a way that was um yeah beneficial for Get, to get in the mindset to design games because I didn't have as many distractions as uh, the big city of Berlin offered. I was really, I thought a lot about El Grande, one of my childhood favorite strategy Euro games. And I was really interested, like, why did they make these choices? And I really analyzed, like, the game, basically. And, and I was wondering, like, how I would design the game differently if I were, would have been the designer. And that basically led to me redesigning the game to my liking. But during that process, I also started to change the theme. And that became the theme of corporate social responsibility because I was also interested in, to, in sustainability topics. Yeah, so I basically just started to design games without really knowing how to do that. And there was no instruction. I was just fooling around and making prototypes with with paper and printing stuff. And um, there was like a board game club at the campus of uh, in the, at the University of um, Enschede in the Netherlands. So there were like hardcore geeks 
And yeah, this was a perfect environment because I could basically ask them for feedback and they would play tests and they gave great feedback. And, and during the process, I really realized very quickly that I love making games. And mm. I, without even like having any success, I kind of felt I'm good at it and I love it. So I really quickly researched, is this actually a job? Can you do this for a living? And mm. wow. I quickly found out that very, very few people can do this for a living full time, at least in Germany. Um, so my conclusion was, well, if they are not making a living out of designing board games, the publishers must because like they're companies and yeah, maybe the game designers don't have enough negotiation power or whatsoever. Since I was studying entrepreneurship and innovation management at the time, and this was my master degree, I kind of told myself, well, if game designers cannot make enough money to support their living, um, I will just start my own gaming company. And basically publish my own board game. So, and with that, I'm incredibly impressed. That's that's a really good, insightful economic analysis. I, I'm kind of speechless myself, which for me is um, unusual. Uh, I know I've been asked because I, I'm a gamer. Like kind of non-gamers will often ask you, you know, did you ever think of writing your own game? And the, the usual answer to that is no. I know my limitations. It's like asking somebody who drinks wine. Would you ever think of making your own wine? It's it is a big difference between playing a game and designing a game. So, you know, I take my hat off to anyone that, that kind of gets the magic there. And one of the things that strikes me about the games that you've written is for somebody who grew up in Germany, I, I assume you grew up in Germany and so on, I could be, you know, I, I haven't stalked you to the same level that Philip has. Research, Beck. Research. Yeah, research, research. Yes, yes, yes. The the clans of Caledonia, it's an unusual setting. And it's, it's you know, for an economic game, you know, you think of economic games, you think of business, you think of the, like the classics like stock exchange or, you know, transport. But what made you go for clans of Caledonia for that setting? Basically experience. I mean, um, Green Deal um, was kind of set in a corporate setting, like mm -hmm. the game with the sustainability, corporate social responsibility theme. And it actually got quite um, good reviews. For instance, Tom Basil loved the game, gave it a seal of excellence. But it didn't sell so well. Mm -hmm. And um, one of my learnings from that was that, yeah, Probably both the sustainability theme is is kind of off-putting for people, but also the setting that is too close to reality, because like a core motivation for gamers is escapism. Sure. And they don't want to play. I don't know Texas. You know, a board game about Texas, doing your Texas. Yeah, that's yeah, or, uh, that's or how to people, lose weight or how to get healthy. In yeah, the board game. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. That's why I'm very much drawn to economic themes and economic mechanisms. Yeah, also due to my background. Okay. Um, my learning was basically I need to, in order to make it work, I need to choose settings that are a little bit farther away from reality. Otherwise, it's um, yeah, a bit off-putting for people. So, And um, the theme of Scotland and the clans of Caledonia was very well suitable, I think, for what I wanted because I, I had these special powers. Like mm. actually in the beginning of the game, I, I was kind of choosing 
Um, I was considering to put the game in Tennessee because that's also very important for whiskey. Okay. There's whiskey being a favorite thing, perhaps? Yes. Well, the whiskey was kind of in there, yeah. I kind of noticed that people like whiskey, so I kind of was quite... Give them what they want. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm actually not a whiskey drinker. I actually don't drink at all. Okay, <laughs> so, yeah. But it is an entrepreneur. You shouldn't do things that you want, but rather do things that you want. That's fantastic. Philip? That's interesting. I don't I don't drink either, so uh, you're among friends here. I'm, I'm Irish. Sorry. Yeah, so. <laughs> Yeah, no, you, no, I don't have drink yet. I, I barely <laughs> drink at all by Irish standards. Yeah. There you go. That's that's what I hear too. One of the uh, questions, um, besides you know, sort of taking a look at you know what will sell, are you are you familiar with uh, Hollenspiel games? Um, I'm not sure. Hollenspiel. Okay, so Hollenspiel uh, games, which is run by um, Amabel Russell, right? Does one-off games that you know sort of self. Not quite self-published, but you know, on-demand published. That are games that are on very difficult topics, like uh, the emancipation process of slaves in the United States, and other fun games like that. And one of the things that you said in one of your interviews is that you wanted, you know, karma games to be, you know, and one of your passions are educational games. And so I was kind of wondering from there, you know, Clans of Caledonia. It's not necessarily an educational game as one would think of an educational game. What what are some of the things that you're looking to do to capital, you know, to to work in the educational aspect in your games? Yeah, that was another learning that while I love educational games, they often don't sell so well because educational games tend to be like closer to reality. Because the closer to reality, the easier it is to transfer the knowledge you you gain from the game into reality and into your everyday life, right? Mm -hmm. So. So that was, I, I consciously chose to put my ambition and my, my passion away. What helped me to do that is like, I'm, I'm very ideological or let's say like I, I want to kind of do something that I feel makes sense and is put, making the world a better place, at least in my small within my small uh, means, in my small realm. Mm -hmm. What helped me a lot was I, I stumbled into... Up, um, into a, a TED talk by Peter Singer. He's like a philosopher, a mm -hmm. philosophy professor, and he he's, he talked about effective altruism. And that's a very interesting concept. And he said, like, if you want to do good, you don't need to, to, to start an NGO or work in an NGO. You can also just, if you have a skill that makes money, you could just do that and donate to effective charities. And you might actually do more good compared to the scenario where you're starting an NGO or, you, or where you work in an NGO. And that oh. was a really, um, that was a key factor in my, my career because that actually helped me become a real entrepreneur. Before I was like more like an artist who wanted to make games that I think people should love rather than making games that I know people will love. I have to say, I take my hat off to you, Juma. This is such a, a kind of refreshing way of looking at things. I mean, there are loads of games out there that, you know, address certain subjects and you will run 100 miles from them because the theme is so specific, so dull or just so depressing. You're, you're going at it a different way. Can I ask you, now, this is often the discussion between myself and friends um, about... And and you hit on something there about 
game designers don't make money. And I think game designers are a little bit like rock stars where there are some successful music stars. So some successful ones, but for every successful game designer, there's a hundred unsuccessful or starving artists out there. Um, and you went the extra step of, okay, well, if the game publishers are making money, why don't I become a game publisher? And, and you know, that's fantastic. Compared to the, how do you kind of balance your joy of designing with, I'm assuming, what is a little bit mundane of being a game publisher and the whole kind of thing of logistics and supply and so on? Is that something that you still get a buzz out of as well as game designing or are you happier with design or happier running your business? Um, to be honest, I think it's quite similar because in both being an entrepreneur and designing games, um, you need a lot of conceptual thinking. You start with a canvas. No one is telling you what to do, how. You have to figure it out yourself. You have to figure out your company culture, your business model, your company processes, um, everything. And um, in many ways, I like to think out of the box, not only in designing games, but also like as an entrepreneur. And I, I do things that most other people don't even consider. So I enjoy that process a lot as well, to be honest. Okay. Wow. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is like an amazing uh, talking to you. And so I'm going to just gush a little bit here, but not too much. Uh, you know, we, we want you to keep keep humble because, you know, I don't want you to have a big ego like like Vic has. So uh, one of the things, I was taking a look at some of the games that you're about to publish in 2023. Thiefdom, which actually you and I have discussed a little bit, uh, in the past, and uh, now I'm blanking on the name of the other one. Millennia. There's another game that you. Oh, Millennium. That's it. Millennium. Millennia. Millennia. Okay, I was close. It's actually quite close. It has almost. It it starts like your last name. Yeah, Millennia. Exactly. <laughs> that just showing you that you know I still remember something at my advanced age. And, and one of the things that I I heard was that in both of these cases, these were folks that you knew in. Berlin or that you had some sort of social meeting with the, you know, the, the designers and then you played the game and then you said, yeah, this is uh, something that uh, I want to, I want Karma Games to publish. So I, I guess, you know, what are some of the checklists that you have as the, as a game producer for, you know, deciding to sign a game? And secondly, do I, do I have to come to Berlin to show you my game? I'm kidding. I don't have a game. <laughs> So maybe the last question first, like you don't have to come to Berlin at all. We have um, a cert established a certain process, how we accept game submissions. We have uh, on our website, we have the company, the guidelines for game submissions. And then people can actually um, submit their game through a Google form. And why did we do that? Because we like to have like a standardized process and to be able to compare game submissions um, on certain metrics as well. And this way we can also um, streamline the process and automate the process to a certain degree. For instance, if someone is submitting their game on through the game submission form, um, we have automated the process that a Trello card is created. We don't have to do that ourselves. And a Trello card is created automatically with the responsible, with the due date and everything. Um, because like if we're 
fast giving feedback to designers that is going going to give us an edge over other publishers who often take very long to respond. Smart. And we we actually like to play test online, so that's cool. If if it, but the best is if if the game is on tabletop simulator, that's the the handiest. And what is some of the criteria that you look for in deciding what type of game you want to publish? I mean, for instance, um, I, d- I used to work and help out with Mayday games. And one of the things was, you know, we have a target audience of fam, you know, light games that everybody in the family can do. So anything that was even slightly more complicated or whatever, they would pass on. What are some of the criteria for the games that you look at? Um, we kind of chose a certain business model for the future, at least for the near future. I mean, in the end, it's all, all trial and error and we have to see how, how well this is going to work. But we really want to focus on um, B2C sales because um, the, in the board game industry, customers are used to buy through Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And um, not only did my Kickstarter go really well, but I fulfilled the games of Car- uh, Clans of Gladonia really fast within five months worldwide in a high quantity. And that has given me a really good reputation of being able to fulfill a Kickstarter really fast, which was kind of very surprising for many people because they're used to Kickstarters being really, really late. So I think since we are like good in this project management aspect and we should actually focus on that. I, I also like complexity and uh, that's why we're leaning to designing or publishing mid to heavy Euro games. Because for lighter games, retail is more important. Yeah, I mean, yep. um, obviously, like if if people buy a game for a kid's birthday, they will just spontaneously run into a retail store and buy something, into a brick and mortar store. But for a heavy Euro game, retail is not as important, especially not brick and mortar. Water, because most of those folks are on Board Game Geek. They're in, in Facebook groups for board games. They inform themselves heavily. They subscribe multiple reviewers. So that way I can actually access this target group much more easily online. And that way I can also like um, kind of learn. Because what I didn't like when I sell through distributors, I actually have no idea where exactly I was selling. And I don't know at what price the retailer was selling. So I, I'm basically not gaining that much information. And um, we're living in an information age. So if I sell B2C, I gain a lot more information. If I run ads and I know I, I will learn which kind of ads are working better than others, I'm learning over time. So I, I like that process a lot more because it's more entrepreneurial, like a tech startup basically would work and operate. That kind of is more my jam. That's very cool. Yes, it's, I'm, this is the most coherent. Normally, when you talk to people that are in gaming, you know, they they you seem to have so many kind of all around skills. You know, I, I I do take my hat off to you. Do you are you a game? I assume you're a gamer yourself. Do you have a regular gaming group, or do you just play every so often, or how do you consume your games? Mm, I do play regularly. Um... Also with my employees, like and my colleagues, we play regularly together just for fun. But it's, I mean, of course, it's not only for fun. It's like also to learn. I don't play the same game very often. I have many games and there are many games to be played. And I want to see, of course, what 
what the other publishers are doing, where what are the trends, what iconography are they using, what are the new materials, and so on. So that's why I try to play as many new games as possible. That's superb. What's your favorite kind of what? What have you played in the last few months that you really like? Mm, let me think. Um, I I I'm I've played Barrage a few times recently, and I really like the game system. But I was a bit annoyed by some graphical choices because they they have led to several mistakes. So uh, we basically had to play it like three times to get it right because yeah. sometimes like small things were like there is an arrow, a brown arrow behind a dark background. You don't see the arrow and then you're making a small mistake that has like drastic consequence and you're basically you can't trash that session. So you, you yeah. It's like, wow. it was a bit frustrating, but the game itself is amazing. Okay. And yeah, that showed us again, like how important it is to, to make game aesthetics and the game graphics functional. So people actually played wrong, right? Yeah. No, hundred percent. With the, when you talk about game aesthetics, uh, who do you think does it the best? I mean, outside of your own, your own company. I mean, I mean, one of the things that I think is, you know, I, I like what Ian O'Toole does, both from an artistic perspective as well as a graphic design. I mean, what are some of the people that you look to to say, yeah, they do a really great job? I'm impressed by like Egat Spiele, and now I think they were bought by this Canadian company. How's it called? I forgot the the company who bought Egat Spiele. But I think the in-house graphic designer that they have is called William Quinn, Quill something, William Quillian or something like that. I don't know. Basically, like he was also f uh, responsible for the game Coimbra. I don't know if I pronounced that properly or not. Um, it's, it's Portuguese. Chris Quilliams, that's the artist. Okay. Mm -hmm. Chris Quilliams. I think in this case, he also did the illustration, but... Um, I think he's also doing the iconography and so on. And I really, really liked that. I thought I was really impressed by that. I thought, yeah, he, he really nailed it. Well, that's that's great. Just uh, what do you what do you think right now are the biggest challenges for both Karma games as well as any, uh, you know, either game design, you know, game production company or someone designing a game for Kickstarter at this time, given the economics of the world? Yeah, one big... Um, yeah, problem is of course inflation. Yeah, inflation yeah. and um, increased shipping cost is eating into many gamers' budgets, and um, so people are. I mean, in the end, we're doing a luxury product, which is not necessary. Mm -hmm. So people are kind of more press are becoming more press sensitive. So you have to have that in mind. And in order to mitigate that and to help people buy our games, we have um, thought of a specific um, model that we're trying to implement now. Basically, what we want to do, and which is very, very rare, almost no one does it. So let's see how it goes. Um, it's going to be an adventure. We want to launch um, several Kickstarter campaigns in a staggered way and then basically fulfill them all together at once. Okay. Um, and then we'll have just one pledge manager. Let's say you're backing just one or three campaigns, and the credit that you basically, um, what you, the total amount that you pledged, will be imported into the pledge manager as credit in your account. 
and you can then use that credit however you want. You can even choose another product or you can up your pledge and pack all three games. And the shipping cost will be adjusted based on the number of games and the weight basically that you have put in your card, in your shopping cart. And um, that way people can actually uh, realize um, synergies and saving costs and save shipping costs. And um, yeah, that's what we're, we plan to do. That's very clever. Mm. Uh, that's that's extraordinarily clever. Uh, Vic, do you have any questions? I well, no more an observation that I never want to play poker against this man. Um, I, I would he'd have my car in my house within ten minutes. The um, no, that, that's <laughs> clever stuff. And and of course, shipping is the the big one that kills everyone and, and duty and so on. So yeah, they say in all the good cop shows, I have no further questions. How about you? I do. Go on. Yeah, no, I, I have a, I have a, I have a couple more, and uh, hopefully uh, uh, Jim will, will entertain us. I only have a couple more. Um, I, I guess one of the questions I have is, you know, you had a wild success with a very good game, and it, it's obviously a very, I consider it a very good game because it's in my top ten, uh, Clans of Caledonia, uh, a game that I play at least once a quarter, and last month I played it three days in a row. Uh, so shows you that still holds. But do you, when you take a look at Clans of Caledonia, um, do you say, all right, you know, maybe sort of like Matt Gertz does, but not quite as, uh, not as heavily, is so you say, you know, there's some things that I would love to change a little bit in Clans of Caledonia. And now that I'm creating this newer version, uh, I can make, implement some of those changes. So uh, have you revisited or are you going to keep it exactly the same as you did before? Um, we did announce um, the expansion for this year. Mm -hmm. There are certain things like that uh, we will basically, yeah, I mean, there are certain wishes that we I've heard and seen um, numerous times that people would like this and that better. So for instance, like people like the market to play a bigger role or people would like to um, be less dependent on the contract flop. And mm. these are kind of things that we will address with the expansion. Mm. Um, for instance, there will be like a contract refill board and you know which eight contracts are going to come up. How is it called? The building bonus. And you draw. usually you drew three random contracts from the discard pile. Now you will mm -hmm. basically see the three contracts that are on the refill board. The farthest left mm -hmm. are the ones that you can choose one from. So that, ah. so that makes it more strategic and you will have a better idea of which um, import good is going to be rare. Are you going to add new clans? Yes, we will also add new clans. Um, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, I would have done maybe some things differently. Like, I don't know, some sometimes I thought, yeah, okay, maybe this clan, like, it's a bit clunky. I could have maybe make it a little simpler and um, it would have turned out better. Yeah, I, I, we, have one, we have one clan that we house rule, um, Clan Buchanan, because it's just, it's really hard to to take advantage of that in a in a big way. So, but I, I'm 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 looking forward to uh, your changes. And the the last question that I have is: there any question that you think we should have asked, but didn't? <laughs> there, there's a good question yeah um well one thing <laughs> yeah stump the stump the guest <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah do our podcast for us juma <laughs> yeah maybe, ahead, I'm sorry. like one thing that i kind of missed um explaining is maybe like um and i think maybe you also missed the last game that i published 
was Herzschlag with TZ. Yes, I did miss that. I published it in 2019, shortly before the pandemic started. Yeah, this is also an, um, an educational game and I got an assignment by a company and they hired me to design the game because they wanted to um, donate uh, a, a huge amount of the copies of the first print run to schools. Mm, so wow. we basically designed the game um, Yeah, also with the help of schools. We did a design thinking workshop in schools and the theme is renewable energy, energies in a looming blackout and the production of electricity is getting more, more volatile with more renewable energy. So we need more storage solutions and so on and so on. And um, yeah, so, but the target group is still like teenagers. It's not like for kids, it's really for older students. So like, I'm not ditching the idea of educational games altogether, but um, yeah, I'm basically shying away from designing educational games for the market. But yeah, I'm still... Yeah, getting approached once in a while by a company or an NGO who want me to design a game for them. And in that case, I'm not having any financial risk because they're just paying me to do it. And then I'm happy to do it. Well, that's fantastic. And, and you know, and I guess going back to the uh, TED talk that you heard, you can produce goods that people will buy, but that also leaves you open to have the infrastructure that when someone wants to have you do something good, on their behalf, or if you want to work with an NGO, you know, or a Gates Foundation or something like that to teach valuable lessons in an approachable way using games at their functions, tease you up as the go-to person uh, to do that. Well, uh, we're running, you know, at, at our time uh, and we like to keep things, you know, relatively short. Uh, I, all I would like to say is, Juma, thank you so much uh, for coming and talking with us. It has been truly amazing and educational and thought-provoking, at least for somebody like me. Oh, I'm, I'm blown away. In, in fact, I could sit and listen to Juma all evening with minimal input. <laughs> There's a lot of things there that uh, will stick in my head that you, you've, you've come out with. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a case of, you know, these are like bullet points you've hit out on and they're they're absolutely you know they've you've nailed it as far as i can see and maybe think about things i hadn't thought about before um, and it's it's been an absolute pleasure this evening to talk to you juma it's, um i hope you make will you be making it to essen this year because i'll buy you a cup of coffee if you're there that's very kind vic um i'm flattered by your kind words you're very welcome it's 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 been it's been great chatting with you and i, and I know we philip was looking forward and had been you know jumping up and down with excitement to talk to one of his favorite game designers. Uh, I haven't actually played Clans of Caledonia. And as we were speaking, I was looking up where I could buy a copy. So uh, I'll bring my copy, Vic, if I, get, if I have enough uh, space in my luggage when I come up in Ireland. Ah, just go buy it. It's, it's, it's sold out right now, but you can play it for free online on Board yeah. Game Arena. Oh, I, oh I, that's right. Yeah, we can't play it on Board Game Arena. Yeah, I, I got friends in low places. I'm sure I can find a copy. Juma, this is this has been wonderful. You're you're an absolute gentleman and a, and a star to come on to our podcast and chat to us and, and tell us all about yourself and your company. So from my part anyway, I, I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been it's been a great chat. So with that, uh what we'd like to do at the end of each podcast is thank our guests, which we've done, and we'd like to sign off with play more games. Play more games. Play more games. Woo! Thank you.